prepared. Um, I wanted to show you some, reveal some, some tropes. And you, if you're a movie buff or a TV buff, you're going to recognize these right away. So, for instance, there's the... And my clicker's not working. There, oh, okay, wait, gotta go back, okay. There, the, there is the will they or won't they storyline, you know, where the couple is, there's obstacles in the way and the couple's trying to find, are, they, are you ever going to get this couple together? Are they going to find love? That happens a lot. You see that in a lot of TV shows. Sometimes that's the background story. There is the ugly duckling storyline where, oh, that person's such a dork and it, they took off their glasses. Wait a minute, that's a game changer, Right? There's a lot of movies on that storyline. Um, here's an element. Walk into a dark room and turn the lights on to find someone sitting silently in a high back chair. I, watched, I saw this just last night, actually. Uh, let's do a couple more. Opening a mirrored ca- a medicine cabinet door, only to find a surprise waiting in the reflection when they close it. And it's never good. There's the old lady crossing the road or a lady with a baby stroller. During a car chase. Seems like every single car chase, there's that. And then an example of maybe a sentiment would be, this is something he's got to do himself. I like how this one is described. I went to tvtropes.org, and I like the way it reads. It's almost like uh, like a dictionary. Everything comes down to a one-on-one fight between a hero and whoever's been his worst antagonist in this current plot. The hero's friends and reinforcements show up in time to intervene and give the hero a decisive victory with their overwhelming numbers and or firepower, but they don't. Or the hero won't let them because this is something he's got to do himself. If you keep reading on on that definition, this is the logical extension of the trope, it's personal. The The cousin of leave him to me and often stems from Honor before reason. See, also, I work alone for denying help from the beginning. That sounds like a lot of cop shows. There's also locked out of the fight, where the hero does want help, but circumstances keep the helpers from helping. I saw that one just the other night. Contrast with, in the end, you're on your own, where the helpers can't can't be of any help even if they wanted to. Also contrast with, figure it out yourself, where the bystanders could help, but don't, even if you ask. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm a very visual person, so watching, I like watching movies and TVs, and so I get a kick out of this because I can identify those things in TVs and movies. I'm like, oh, yeah, I just saw Locked Out in a Fight. That's hilarious. So, like I said, that was one of those things that I knew that was either going to land, or you're going to connect with it, or, or not. That's all right. That's all right. Um, it's this last one. That's got my attention. This is something he's, he's got to do himself. Because I went to a youth ministry conference earlier this year. And one of the keynote speakers, David Skidmore, uh, he mentioned a, a, a Latin phrase that was, that's attributed to Tertullian, an early church uh, apologist. And so the phrase he said was, solus Christianus, nullus Christianus, which basically means there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. Now, this got me thinking because these two 
Well, for instance, this, this is something he's got to do himself. That's a very prominent theme in stories. And sometimes maybe even in our own story. And then you have soulless Christianus, knowledge Christianus. So they obviously conflict. So, so which one's right? It's easy to see how we can, we can take this idea of becoming an independent person maybe a little too far. I think it was, it was almost exactly a year ago that I was doing the sermon for Senior Sunday. And I preached on that we can't outsource our faith. We can't, you can't outsource your faith to the preacher or the church you're attending or a Christian school that you're attending. You can't pass off the responsibility of knowing the Lord. You can't, you can't pass off the, the work that's involved in a relationship. That's kind of, I guess that would be the lazy side of the spectrum. But I suppose if it's maybe too easy to come over to this extreme. Because over here, it's like any idea of dependence is seen as flawed or rejected. Because dependence is seen as, well, it's seen as weakness. So in, in this extreme, we get so caught up in gaining the ultimate independence that we forget that we will always remain dependent on God and each other. I think some evidence of this is seen in a, in a popular misconception uh, based on a, a well-known Bible verse. And, and the verse is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, And the misconception is that God will never allow us to have a situation that we can't handle on our own. Here's what the verse actually says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will let, not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. See, somewhere along the line, we've convinced ourselves of a lie. And that lie is that God won't give us anything that we can't handle. That with enough willpower, with enough gumption, I can handle anything that comes my way. And that's a lie. Here's how we know it's a lie. Because if I can handle anything that comes my way, why do I need God? If, if I can handle the struggles of life, well, what do I need him for? If I, if I can handle the death of a family member, or I can handle my marriage breaking apart, or I can handle my financial situation, or if I can handle my kids, why do I, why do I need him? We can say, oh, I got this. We try to say that, right? I got this. I can handle it. No. The Lord will most definitely allow you to have, and maybe sometimes he'll even give you some things that you cannot handle on your own. And he does so, so that you and I will turn to him. In his book, Dinner with Skeptics. Jeff Vines speaks right to that topic. When asked how God could allow bad things to happen, part of Jeff's response is that God allows the world to be imperfect so that we will long, we will desire, we will long for a place of perfection for him. So God does it so that we realize, I don't got this. And I realize that's poor grammar. But we say that all the time. I don't got this. 
not without him. It's, it's only with the Lord that we can make it through those terribly tough situations. So dependence on him is not a weakness. Because dependence on God is the ultimate source of strength. There's one more part of that equation. Earlier I said sometimes we forget that we will always remain dependent on God and each other. And so there's one more resource that, that God has given us as a source of strength, and that's, that's the church. Have you ever wondered why Jesus established the church? There's usually two per, uh, positions on what, what the role of the church is, what the purpose of the church is. And the first is to have a, a group in which non-believers can come and be introduced to Christ. And perhaps the second position would be, well, it's, it's really a, a group that, it's, it's just a group of believers. This is where they come. And I kind of lean kind of in the middle. How, how is that for being noncommittal, right? Um, I believe, yes, it, it should be a great group. And I, I say group, not a place, right? Because you don't go to church, you are the church, right? So it should be a great group. That we can bring a coworker or a neighbor or somebody and they could be introduced to Christ and learn more about him. But bringing them to a church service or bringing them to a small group can't be the finish line. It's not the, it's not the ultimate goal. And yes, having coming together and worshiping together and praying together and taking the Lord's Supper and hearing sermons, that is immense value. But we have to remember that the God that we're worshiping where he goes beyond these walls. He goes beyond those doors. So I believe that Christ established a church so we could come together, we could encourage one another, become refreshed, and then go back out into the world as shining lights. Our time together is to remind us of our purpose and refuel us in our efforts to demonstrate Christ to the world. So solus Christianus, nullus Christianus, no such thing as a solitary Christian. Why? Because we're not going to last very long without each other. It makes me think a little bit of the creation story. When we read about God and, 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 and how he made the, the ocean and the land, and he was making the, the moon and the stars and the, and, the, and the sun, and he was making animals that, that ran and that crawled and flew. And what did he say about each one of those things? Each time he said, it's good, right? It's good. And the sixth day when he made man, he made male and female, what did he say? It's very good, right? That's in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we kind of get the story within the story of that, what happened on that sixth day. And it's actually there that we see that God says, you know what? It's not good. It's not good that man is alone. And so he created Eve. Man is the one thing that was not good when he was made alone. Simply put, we're not intended to be alone. We were intended to be in community. This is not a new concept. Many have written about it. John Donne wrote, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent. H.E. Luckuck, and I probably mispronounced his name, but said, No one can whistle a symphony. It takes a whole orchestra to play it. And then a quote attributed to Aesop is, in union, there is strength. 
Even the, even the Coca-Cola company gets it. Over the years, they've come up with some very creative uh, marketing ideas, and I, I want to briefly show you two. To make a Coke machine that takes two people to use, to make a Coke bottle top that takes another to open it. I mean, yeah, that's a very creative marketing technique. That's a, it generated some excitement, but they base that on a fundamental truth, did they not? We're not intended to try to survive by ourselves. We're intended to live in community. And as if I hadn't made... That point clear enough. Let's turn to, to Mark 
2, that, that verse that Garrett read for us this morning. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to them a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So here we have four friends of a paralyzed man who were determined for their friend to see Jesus. Did you catch that? That They were determined for their friend to see Jesus. Perhaps her friend was, was, the guy on the stretcher was encouraging the entire time. He's like, sweet, guys, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Or maybe he was more downtrodden and he's like, guys, this isn't going to work. Look at the crowd. Guys, this, this actually kind of hurts. Stop. And we just, please. We, we don't know what the attitude of, of the man in the stretcher was. Because one of the things this story identifies is the efforts of the four friends. I heard about a youth minister who went to speak at a church and was touring the building. He noticed in a classroom that they had painted a ceiling tile so that it resembled the four men in the story. And so if you could picture it, they had four faces looking down. And so they had that on the ceiling tile. And so the youth minister just walk into a classroom, saw that, it seemed weird. So he just asked, what, what's that about? And they said, oh, well, that's, that's from a VBS. We, uh, we did that, but we're going we're gonna to paint over that. And the youth minister said, don't you dare. Don't you dare paint over that, because that's a great reminder of these friends who went to great lengths for that paralyzed man. If I were to put you on the spot and ask you right now to name four friends that would ensure that you're at the feet of Jesus? Who would they be? What, what are their names? Think about that. Who are, your four, who are four friends that no matter what happens, they will ensure that you're at the feet of Jesus? Why is soulless Christianus, knowledge Christianus, a valid statement? Because at any given time, you may find yourself as the one paralyzed on a stretcher, paralyzed because of something going on in your life. Again, maybe it's, maybe it's illness, maybe it's the death of a family member, maybe it's debt, maybe it's divorce. With the weather the way it's going, maybe it's a tornado, right? I mean, in an instant, you can lose everything. You may find yourself on that stretcher, and if you do, who's going to be there to carry you? And not only just to carry you, but who are going to be there to carry you and ensure that you're at the feet of Jesus, like these four friends? Maybe you are that friend right now. Maybe you are very much carrying someone's stretcher. You're there with them, crying with them or holding them or just sitting with them and ensuring that they're there at Jesus, with Jesus. So here's the challenge. If you're currently involved here at Pine Tree in some way, in a small group or in a ministry, I want to encourage you to keep doing it because it will fortify your faith. 
if, and this is where it gets touchy, if you just kind of show up, not that involved, I want to challenge you to get connected. It doesn't matter if you're in first grade, third grade, fifth, junior high, high school, all the way up to uh, an empty nester. I want to encourage you to get connected. Get connected with a class, a small group, a ministry, because you will be amazed at how much it will strengthen you and give you the energy to go through the, the week. And finally, for our, our graduates, I've got a couple here and one back there. I want to uh, tell you this. You're, you're about to be on your own. And no one's going to be there to make sure that you get out of bed and go to church. For a long time, you, you've probably longed for independence, for freedom. And you're about to have it. But at the same time, I want to advise you not to reject the dependence upon God or each other. Because if, if you want to wish, if, if you want to grow in your faith and, and deepen your relationship with Him, having a church family that you meet with on a regular basis is a necessity. It's not a bonus. It's not gravy. It's a need. It's a necessity. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So yes, technically you could be a Christian alone for a while, I suspect. Uh, but for the long run, for the Christian journey, we need to be in community with each other. Because we were never intended to be independent from God. We were never in, in, intended to be independent from each other. We were meant to be in community with one another. To lean on one another. To be encouraged by one another. To be spurred on by one another. To be reminded of our purpose. And refueled in our efforts to demonstrate Christ to the world. If this church body can serve you today, if we can serve as your community today, if we can pray for you, we, we invite you to come front. If, if you want to speak privately with, with one of our shepherds, they can meet you in the back. If there's any way we can support you as your community, as your family, we invite you to come up front as we stand and as we sing. And in me 